You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for the Thanksgiving edition of The Jazz Show, and I guarantee there'll be no turkeys.
would like to welcome you to the Thanksgiving edition of The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and you are, of course, listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we'd like to uh, just wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and hope that you enjoyed a nice meal uh, wherever and uh, enjoyed the, uh, the long weekend, uh, such as it is in these times, and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, um, maybe thinking about how lucky we are to be living in a wonderful country called Canada. It has its faults, but hey, would you really want to live somewhere else? Yeah. So, with that in mind, we do have a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we have to be thankful for some great jazz music, which is what this program is all about. And we're continuing with our second in the series. Um, this, of course, is our jazz feature the most important part, uh, one of the most important parts of the show. We have lots of music to play for you, but uh, the jazz feature always kicks everything off. And we like to do it early because uh, most, uh, some listeners have to uh, you know, put out the lights, say goodnight, and uh, get up for work in the morning. So we like to uh, do the jazz feature right at the beginning of the show, right after our theme, and uh, a few words from, uh, from yours truly. So, our jazz feature artist is the second of this month's series of more obscure, under-recorded, and underrated alto saxophonists. However, this man is perhaps the best known of all the alto saxophonists we're going to be featuring this month. His name, William Sonny. Chris, Sonny Chris. He was a virtuoso player, uh, an incredible musician, and had a, a very powerful and wonderful voice on the alto saxophone. He uh, was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and grew up in Los Angeles. He moved there with his family when he was 15. So he began um, he was already playing in Memphis, and by the time he moved to Los Angeles um, at age 15, uh, he was already pretty formidable on the instrument, and he began to sit in with um, various inner-city bands in L.A. because his family moved to uh, Watts, of course, which was the basically the African-American area of Los Angeles. And... Sonny began to sit in in some of the local clubs with some very, very prominent musicians and began to establish um, his reputation as being a tremendous saxophone player, alto saxophone player. And uh, he went on to become what I think was one of the most uh, prominent and one of the real major voices on that instrument. Sonny had a, a rather um, inconsistent career 
he uh, he wasn't crippled by drugs or anything like that. Although uh, I think alcohol um, was a bit of a factor later on in his life, but um, basically he just had a lot of bad luck, and uh, it was things were supposed to happen but never happened. All this kind of stuff, and um, anyway, Sonny in the forties was uh, very prominent. He was uh, by the time he. Uh, reached his uh, early 20s, uh, he was uh, a really uh, a very formidable voice of the alto saxophone, and he began performing in concerts, and he even performed alongside Charlie Parker, who was, of course, living in Los Angeles at the time. Sonny was influenced by Charlie Parker, but his own concept on the alto, his sound kind of went back to the earlier um, pre-Charlie Parker uh, saxophonist, and he was a wonderful combination of those two influences. Anyway, he was so confident, he went up against Charlie Parker and um, really held his own uh, with the Great Bird in a, in a very publicized and recorded concert. And he was asked after how, how he felt playing with Bird, and he said, well, I'm not afraid of Charlie Parker. Um, you know, um, that's it. I respect him. I, I admired him. I have been influenced by him, but I'm not afraid of him. So that's why I'm here tonight, and that's why I did what I did. Um, Sonny exuded confidence, but not ego. That was one of the things about Son, uh, um, Sonny Chris. And uh, that was one of the positives about his playing, too, because he was, he was really out front and very, very confident. So Sonny uh, persisted, and he eventually um, began touring with Norman Grantz's troupe, Jazz at the Philharmonic. And in 1949, he recorded his first, um, did his first recordings under his own name. So he persisted in Los Angeles in the early 50s, but what was happening in the early 50s in L.A. was a lot of musicians had moved to Los Angeles. They were um, people from various orchestras, like Woody Herman's band, Stan Kenton's band, and so on, and they, they were attracted to the climate of Los Angeles and also the promise of not only jazz work, but studio work, movies, television, radio. This stuff brought in money. And of course, if you could make money in the studios, uh, movies and all that kind of stuff, and play jazz, things were good. Because you didn't make that much money playing jazz, but you did make a lot of money playing in the studios, doing movie scores, all that sort of stuff. And also... Because these, a lot of these musicians were from big bands, uh, they kind of started a, a trend in music, which is very valid, but it turned out to be West Coast jazz, and it involved um, West Coast cool jazz. And the concept was uh, nice arrangements, um, little room, well, some solos and that sort of thing, but the concentration was more on... Uh, clever arrangements and, and, and that sort of thing rather than just getting up there and, and playing. And this kind of went against what uh, Sonny Chris felt was jazz. Um, he, he liked to just take a good melody and just play it. Um, 
no frills, no fuss, no muss, and uh, just play it beautifully. But uh, this was kind of the what was happening in the music was kind of putting Sonny, uh, Sonny Chris a little bit out of business. And another thing, Sonny Chris really didn't want to do studio work. It's not that he didn't have the, the chops or the technique on the instrument, but one thing he did lack was the incredible reading skills that studio musicians had to have. And a lot of these musicians that had emigrated to L.A. had tremendous reading skills and were able to get into the studios. Uh, you had to, uh, and to be a studio musician, you had to read the most complicated store, uh, score and get it off the paper. Sonny Chris really didn't have that ability. Uh, he was an adequate reader, but, um, you know, not the caliber that was uh, needed in the studios. But he actually didn't really want to do that work anyway. And um, interestingly enough, he uh, um, was able to score a gig um, with Buddy Rich's band, uh, not the big band, but a small group that Buddy had, and uh, and toured the country. Also, what came up was a contract with a small label, which was generally putting out country music, Mexican music, and rhythm and blues music, but they did have a little bit of room for jazz. And Sonny Chris signed a contract with Imperial Records and recorded three tremendous albums for that label. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's Sonny Chris's bad luck again. Um, the albums were so good, but uh, they weren't widely distributed. And, of course, they soon became rare collector's items. And uh, so many people had never heard these albums. And this is what we're going to feature this evening, one of these great albums that Sonny recorded in the mid-50s, uh, early 1956, with a top-notch rhythm section. That's going to be our jazz feature. So a little bit of, um, little bit of more history of Sonny Chris. Um, things went reasonably well. Um, however, he left, spent a couple of years in France uh, and in Europe in the early 60s and was very successful over there, recorded over there and that sort of thing. But home was calling again, and he came back home in the mid-60s to absolutely nothing. No gigs, no nothing. There was just nothing happening in L.A., but he felt that he had to come home, but something very fortunate happened. He signed, uh, he was heard and signed with Prestige Records and put out a whole series of beautiful albums for Prestige in the 60s, and that was his highest um, fame. Uh, those albums were very well-reviewed and everything, but uh, by the end of the 60s, uh, the Prestige contract was up, and uh, Sonny was drinking a lot, and he decided this wasn't very good, and he registered with AA and uh, was successful at uh, putting a cork in a bottle, and he also got a grant to, uh, from the California government to take a little band into inner-city schools and play music for these uh, rather underprivileged kids and lecture 
on substance abuse, and he did that for several years. Went to Europe again in 1974 and recorded some beautiful albums in 1975. The sad thing about Sonny Chris was that uh, things were looking, in the mid-'70s, things were looking really good, and he was set up for a tour of Japan. And, of course, he had never been to Japan. He had to go through a medical um, to get a passport and all the kind of uh, bureaucratic stuff. And um, it was discovered that he had incurable stomach cancer. So Sonny never made the trip. And a few months later, uh, he decided that he didn't want to go through the agony of cancer. And Sonny, by his own hand, took his own life. And he was only 50 years old. So that was a rather sad end to a great musician. But I thought I'd give you a little history on, on Sonny Chris. Now, we get back to this album which is really wonderful. It's a whole selection of, of uh, standard tunes. Uh, most of them are familiar to, uh, uh, should be, uh, to most of you. And Sonny uh, put together a wonderful rhythm section here with uh, Sonny Clark, another Sonny on piano, great player, was living on the West Coast at the time. The great Leroy Vinegar on bass and Larence Marable on drums, who was one of the better drummers in jazz drummers in Los Angeles. So this, uh, this was Sonny Chris's favorite setting, quartet with piano, bass, and drums. Ideal for him. Uh, he could play the melody the way he wanted to and just uh, do what he had to do. So all of this was recorded and put out on an imperial album, and the album was called Go Man, <laughs> and uh, that's, that's the name of the album. So we get to the music, and uh, there's about 10 tunes on the album. They're not, none of them are very long, but Sonny really makes the most of all of them. We open with probably one of the most familiar Gershwin tunes. Everybody knows this one. It's Summertime. Second tune is written by Yubi Blake, the great African-American composer, pianist. It's called Memories of You. Um, tune number three is an original by Sonny Chris called Waylon with Joe. Tune number four is um, a tune by Irving Berlin, one of my favorite ballads called How Deep is the Ocean. Um, another Sonny Chris original called The Blues for Rose. And then another Gershwin tune, The Man I Love, and then a tune uh, by Charlie Chaplin uh, and various other composers, wonderful tune called Until the Real Thing Comes Along. And then another tune by Gordon Jenkins called Blue Prelude, and then an up-tempo uh, entitled After You've Gone, and then the great Harold Arlen tune, Come Rain or Come Shine, and finally, the last tune of the set, um, one of the great standards, How High the Moon, written by Lewis and Hamilton. So that's our jazz feature. The album was called Go Man, and it really is a beautiful portrait of this wonderful and um, sadly underrated alto saxophone great. And I think you'll love the 
saxophone stylings of Sonny Chris. And we begin with his version of Summertime. Thank you. 
Thank you.
Our jazz feature this evening, an album that was uh, very rare for a number of years and finally came out in 2000 on a double CD set entitled The Complete Imperial Sessions of Sonny Chris. Sonny was our jazz feature artist this evening. And I mentioned uh, before that Sonny had a, a rather inconsistent career, um, up and down, the usual um, so many things in music where you're, you're hot one minute, <laughs> you're not the next, all that kind of stuff. But um, Sonny Chris was one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. And, of course, this, he was the second of um, our jazz feature um, spotlighting this month uh, alto saxophonists who are either under-recorded, under-appreciated, or underrated. And in the case of Sonny Chris, he was possibly the best known of all the saxophonists we're going to feature this month. But um, 
he uh, he did record some significant albums, including this one. This was done for a small label, one of three that he did for the Imperial label. And the Imperial label was uh, existed in the 50s. Uh, it recorded mostly Mexican music. Um, they had um, uh, comedians in there. They had R&B. They had country music and a little bit of jazz. And uh, Sonny Chris was fortunate to... Uh, uh, sign a contract and do three wonderful albums, and we heard one this evening um, that I think is the uh, the best of the three. But they're all good. Um, that's that's just my judgment because I like Sonny in a quartet setting, and I know that that was his favorite setting. Have it being the single horn in front of piano, bass, and drums, and of course the. The people involved here, um, Sonny Chris, of course, on alto saxophone, and Sonny Clark, the other Sonny, on piano, equally legendary artist, Leroy Vinegar, the great walker on bass, and Lawrence Marable on drums. And all of this was recorded in in Los Angeles in uh, late February and early March of 1956. And we heard 12 tunes uh, on this album. And... uh, Uh, wonderful versions of standards and a couple of original compositions as well, showing the mastery of uh, Sonny Chris and uh, his incredible facility on the instrument as well, and his passion, uh, his playing. His playing was, um, yes, it was modern. It was influenced by Charlie Parker, of course, but it also harkened back to um, some of the earlier pre-Parker uh, alto saxophonists like Benny Carter and Pete Brown and other people. So we opened with uh, the Gershwin Brothers' Summertime, probably the most best-known tune that the Gershwins ever wrote. The second tune was uh, a beautiful thing written by U.B. Blake called Memories of You. Then we heard a Sonny Clark uh, or a Sonny Chris original entitled Wailin' with Joe. And then we heard Irving Berlin's How Deep is the Ocean? And then another Sonny Chris original called The Blues for Rose. And then we heard an up-tempo version of the Gershwin's The Man I Love. And then a very pretty rendition of a beautiful old ballad uh, written by Harry Kahn. And it was entitled Until the Real Thing Comes Along. Then we heard a great Gordon Jenkins tune following that called Blue Prelude. And then we moved things upstairs again as far as the tempo was concerned with the After You've Gone. And then we heard uh, another great Harold Arlen tune called Come Rain or Come Shine. And then we heard um, Ornithology, which was one of the um, anthems of bebop based on the chord progressions of How High the Moon. And the final tune... Sonny mellowed things down with a wonderful version of an old ballad called If I Had You. So I hope you enjoyed the virtuoso alto saxophone stylings of the one and only Sonny Chris. Sonny was born in Memphis and raised in Los Angeles. He moved there with his family when he was 15. And in 1977, um, he passed away by his own hand, sad to say. Uh, He was only 50 years old, and we lost one of the major voices and uh, 
unfortunately overlooked voices of the alto saxophone, but he was a true giant on that instrument. Sonny Chris. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer, uh, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and, of course, we wish you a very happy Thanksgiving Day today and hope you enjoyed the uh, the holiday and uh, feeling nice and relaxed and possibly, uh, you know, full of ham or turkey or whatever else uh, you chose to eat. Uh, we have a couple of announcements, and we're going to come back with some very early John Coltrane. This was before he became uh, prominent, before he was really known um, from some very interesting broadcast recordings that go way back to 1951 with Dizzy Gillespie and company. And we're going to be listening to those in a very few moments, but we have some important announcements to make. Beginning with this one. The Vancouver International Film Festival is back this fall. Experience the best Canadian and world cinema in your own backyard. There's tons of films and documentaries fused with industry creator talks, live music, and immersive events. You can catch the world premiere of Robin Hayes' Anthem of a Teenage Prophet, maybe a creator talk with Michael Schur of NBC's The Good Place, or a screening of Jason Reitman's The Frontrunner, starring Hugh Jackman. The festival takes place from September 27th to October 12th. Tickets are on sale now at vif.org, that is viff.org. really done with politics as usual. But then it's all about the competition. Every Vancouverite has their own story. The perfect time for our alternative. Vancouver's municipal election looms October 20th. Do you know who's running for city council, school board, parks board? This is a wacky municipal election and you're going to want to stay updated. Download Seeking Office the newest municipal elections podcast from CITR's News Collective. Find Seeking Office on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you download your podcasts starting July 3rd. Something I would like to tell you about. Have you ever heard of Lisa Ono? She is a marvelous singer and uh, she sings in the bossa nova style but she also sings uh in different languages english portuguese japanese all kinds of uh different languages she knows no boundaries and uh she's done and recorded um over 30 albums and she's known worldwide and she's coming to vancouver on november 4th to the queen elizabeth theater and it's going to be quite a concert beautiful concert and uh lisa ono is, uh, as I said, um, a major, major artist, and it's an honor for Vancouver to welcome her. Um, the concert is going to take place November 4th. Mark that down, 2018, and, of course, it's at 7.30. It's going to be at the Queen Elizabeth Theater, and tickets are starting at $58. And, of course, you can... Um, uh, get them through Ticketmaster as well, ticketmaster.ca, or uh, you can also phone one eight five five nine eight five 
5,000. 1-855-985-5000. So that is Lisa Ono, and she will be uh, singing all kinds of um, different songs, her hits. Uh, she did uh, La Vie en Rose, of course, which was made famous by the great Edith Piaf, and Fly Me to the Moon, uh, etc. cetera, <laughs> um, in other words. Uh, and, and, and so many others. Um, she really has um, a feel for, uh, for bossa nova and, and, and the style of bossa nova and, and uh, that kind of music appeals to jazz fans as well. So uh, I think it's important. Uh, it'll, it'll be a very important concert, and she is a world-famous artist, and I think we're privileged to have her coming to Vancouver. November 4th, at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. Make a note. Lisa Ono. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum-speaking Musqueam people. John Coltrane, of course, became and is still such an influence and an inspiration. Back in his early days, uh, Coltrane worked with um, one of his, uh, after doing a whole bunch of R&B gigs, and, and uh, uh, he actually began on the alto saxophone and then made the switch to the larger tenor, which, of course, is his, uh, was, became his main instrument. And uh, he worked a lot of R&B gigs in, in Philadelphia, uh, practiced hard and that sort of thing, and was very privileged to join Dizzy Gillespie's sextet. Um, now, they made some studio albums. Coltrane is on them, but he doesn't solo. This is a little different. These are air shots that were taken off the radio. They were recorded at Birdland, of course, which was one of the most prominent clubs in New York for many years, in January of 1951. And so we're going to hear John Coltrane, uh, early John Coltrane. And, of course, he reflects um, in many ways. Uh, you can hear the, the genesis of his style, of course, uh, his biggest influence at that time was uh, the great Dexter Gordon. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons why Dizzy Gillespie hired John Coltrane. He saw a lot of promise. And there's a wonderful photograph. It's all over the Internet of, of Dizzy and a very young John Coltrane. And Dizzy is looking very ad admirably at his um, young tenor saxophonist. So we're going to hear, of course, the great Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet. With John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Milt Jackson on vibes, Billy Taylor on piano, uh, virtuoso pianist, of course, the great Billy Taylor, Percy Heath on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes. The first one is um, Dizzy Gillespie's uh, famous minor key blues called Burke's Works. Then we're going to hear one uh, written by Tad Dameron called Good Bait. And then, of course, Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition called A Night in Tunisia. 
and Mr. Gillespie is also going to be heard playing some conga drums on A Night in Tunisia. But there are uh, Coltrane solos on all of these tunes, so you get a chance to hear some very, very early John Coltrane. So check them out here. Thank you. 
We heard a broadcast recording from Birdland, January 13th, 1951, and some very early examples of John Coltrane's saxophone playing, tenor saxophone playing, with Dizzy Gillespie's sextet, with John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Milt Jackson on vibes, Billy Taylor on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Art Blakey on drums. And we heard three tunes, and Coltrane soloed on all three of them. The first one was Dizzy's um, minor key blues called Burke's Works, and the second tune was Tad Dameron's Good Bait, and the third tune, of course, was Dizzy's most famous composition, A Night in Tunisia. We also heard Mr. Gillespie play trumpet and some conga drum as well. He contributed to that. Anyway, this was, um, as I mentioned before, uh, a rare broadcasting rec- uh, broadcast recording featuring some uh, early John Coltrane on tenor saxophone. The genesis of his style was being formed in those years with uh, Dizzy Gillespie, 1951. Now, he really didn't uh, come to prominence until he joined Miles Davis's band in 1955, and that's when the world began to hear John Coltrane and hear about John Coltrane, and of course the rest is history. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, and uh, we got a uh, usual little feature coming right up. My name's Gavin Walker, by the way, and check this out. We sort of all know that summer is over, and tonight, of course, is cloudy with some drizzle happening with a low of 11. That's, uh, but then tomorrow, it's, uh, it's going to clear up in the morning, and any fog patches will be dissipating, and act- we're actually going to have quite a nice day tomorrow with a low of 11 and a high of 15. And then actually for the rest of the week, and this is surprising, we all know, as I, I said, that, uh, yeah, summer's over and it's not going to get hot again, but it's going to be very pleasant this week, starting um, tomorrow. That's the trans- kind of the transition day. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right into the weekend, it's going to be sunny all week with lows around um, bottoming out uh, between 5 and 6 and highs up from 13 to 15. So it's going to be very pleasant fall weather happening right through this week. So enjoy. It's not suntan weather, but, uh, you know, better than the alternative. Here is a recording 
that actually startled the jazz world. It was issued in 1956 on Blue Note Records. Nobody had ever heard the Hammond organ played like this until Jimmy Smith came along. And, of course, there were organists before Jimmy, but somehow his playing seemed to codify the more modern concept of the Hammond organ. And, of course, Jimmy did it all because he played bass lines with his bass pedals on the organ and, of course, um, was just absolute. He had... um, He started out, he's originally from Norristown, uh, Pennsylvania, and he had started out as a very, very competent piano player, but somehow um, he got a hold of a Hammond organ. Um, It was in a music store and uh, decided, gee, that's an instrument that I want to play. So he put himself away for almost a couple of years, practiced every day, uh, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. Uh, perfecting a concept on the organ and eventually brought it out and started performing in clubs. Anyway, Blue Note heard about this, Blue Note Records, and they they uh, decided to record Jimmy. And, of course, he became the best-selling artist on Blue Note Records. And this is one of his very first albums. And this particular tune just kind of took everybody by storm. And it's... Um, Actually, it's a Dizzy Gillespie composition, as, as a matter of fact, and it's called The, the Champ, and it featured, um, features Jimmy's working trio of the time with Thornell Swartz on guitar and drummer Bay Perry, and, of course, Jimmy Smith on the Hammond organ. And the album came out, A New Sound, A New Star. Jimmy Smith. Here we go. Thank you. 
The incredible Jimmy Smith from a very early album, which uh, introduced Jimmy to the world. It was uh, put out on Blue Note Records, and of course uh, it was entitled A New Sound, A New Star, Jimmy Smith. And that was Jimmy doing uh, Dizzy Gillespie's uh, up-tempo blues called The Champ, and Mr. Smith on the Hammond organ, James Oscar Smith, Thornell Schwartz on guitar and Bay Perry on drums. And that was uh, Jimmy's working band. Um, they were all based in Philadelphia at the time. And of course, recorded for Blue Note Records. And then Jimmy eventually moved to New York City and became the best selling Blue Note artist for many, many years. And then, of course, in later years, he moved on to uh, Verve and other labels. And of course, he is really the pioneer voice of the modern Hammond organ, the one and only Jimmy Smith. 
We're going to pay tribute now to one of the great baritone saxophone players who ever existed. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, we formed a, a very strong friendship. I met, uh, met Pepper Adams uh, in the early 80s, as a matter of fact, and uh, we formed a, a strong bond. We both had similar senses of humor, and um, Pepper was uh, appearing at um, the Edmonton Jazz Festival, and uh, I was um, there to interview different musicians because at the time I was working for the redoubtable CBC, and um, it was an interesting assignment. Anyhow, I uh, was sitting in in different jam sessions as well, playing, and Pepper uh, had a, uh, a small gig, and he invited me to uh, to join him, and I uh, had so much fun um, working and playing and uh, hanging out with Pepper. He was uh, really became a very favorite person of mine, and we corresponded over the years, and of course we we met up and at very in Montreal and different uh, other uh, venues where where I was and where he was, and maintained our friendship until his passing. Pepper was truly one of the great voices of the baritone saxophone, and um, he brought a new kind of, uh, although Jerry Mulligan was uh, one of the most popular modern uh, baritone saxophonists, Pepper Adams took it in a different direction. Um, He... Mulligan was a lighter, kind of more uh, bouncy, lyrical player, and Pepper Adams was really hard-edged. And um, it gained him a nickname, as a matter of fact. They called him the knife because his sound could cut through. Um, he, he was playing with Stan Kenton's band, and his sound could cut through the sound of, sound of that band um, and just be heard so so clearly. Uh, and, of course, his articulation on the instrument um, came about through years and years and years of uh, incredible practice. And, of course, uh, his concept, he was very, ad- ad- very advanced and very sophisticated player. But he was swung hard, just played great music. And today is his birthday. Oh. Moving my hands around, bang the microphone. <laughs> Smart. Anyway, um, today is his birthday, October 8th. And uh, if, if you're on your computer or iPhone or whatever, uh, you can check out, if you don't know much about Pepper, there's a, quite a biography of Pepper Adams on uh, Wikipedia. And uh, there's so many details. Pepper uh, passed away, um, died of cancer, as a matter of fact, sad to say, died of lung cancer in 1986, and he was only 55 years old, and uh, we lost a great voice, the baritone saxophone. He was born in Highland Park, Michigan, October 8th, 1930, and we're going to take you now to a session that he did in Los Angeles, and it came out on Pacific Jazz Records, and it's a really fine album. Uh, The album was called Critics' Choice because he had been noticed uh, in the reader's poll of Downbeat magazine, and uh, they voted him in as, uh, the critics voted him in as top choice, um, a new voice on the baritone saxophone. 
Now, he had just come off the road with Stan Kenton's band. He wasn't terribly happy in that band, but he did get a few opportunities to solo. But uh, he ended up in Los Angeles for a few months and recorded this wonderful album called Critics' Choice. And his uh, frontline partner is a wonderful trumpet player who was in the Kenton Orchestra, and Pepper befriended him and liked the way he played, uh, a gentleman by the name of Lee Katzman. And he was basically known as a section uh, trumpet player, but he certainly was a very fine soloist, as we'll hear on this recording. And on piano, Jimmy Rolls, one of the great pianists um, based in Los Angeles, and Doug Watkins from Detroit on bass, who was living in Los Angeles briefly at the time, and the great Mel Lewis on drums. And we're going to hear Pepper Adams on baritone saxophone. The first tune that we're going to hear is called Minor Mishap, great tune written by fellow Detroiter uh, Tommy Flanagan. And the second tune we're going to hear is written by pianist Barry Harris, and it's called High Step. And these two tunes from this marvelous album, Critics' Choice, we're paying a small tribute now to uh, the birthday anniversary of the great Pepper Adams. So here he is, and the tune, Minor Mishap. Thank you. 
Uh-huh. Well, that was so fast it caught me off guard. Yeah, I'll tell you. That's from Pepper Adams' uh, wonderful album. That was one of his earliest uh, outings uh, under his own name. Uh, as I mentioned before, he, uh, he had just got off uh, the road uh, with the Stan Kenton Orchestra and spent some time in Los Angeles with his buddy on trumpet, Lee Katzman. So we heard uh, Pepper on baritone saxophone, Lee Katzman on trumpet, the great Jimmy Rolls on piano, Doug Watkins on bass, and Mel Lewis on drums. We heard two tunes from this uh, um, World Pacific album called uh, Critics' Choice because he had been uh, voted in by the redoubtable jazz critics as a top new voice of the baritone saxophone. And um, all of this was recorded in July of 1957 in L.A. We heard uh, Minor Mishap was the first tune by Tommy Flanagan and the up-tempo tune um, by Thad Jones. I said we were going to play high step, and I think we're going to do that. But um, the second tune we heard was a Thad Jones uh, original called Zek, and I didn't announce that, Z or Z-E-C, Z-E-C. We're Canadian, right? It's Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, and I did announce that we're going to hear Barry Harris's delightful tune, High Step. So I think we're going to listen to that right now um, with the same band. So... As soon as I'm able to program it, we're going to hear it. So the same people involved, and here's Barry Harris's High Step. Thank you. 
From the same album, Critics' Choice, that was Barry Harris's great tune called High Step. And, of course, we're paying tribute to one of the great voices of the baritone saxophone, Pepper Adams. And uh, today is his birthday anniversary. Pepper Adams on baritone with uh, Lee Katzman on trumpet, Jimmy Rolls on piano, Doug Watkins on bass, and Mel Lewis on drums from an album, an early album by Pepper Adams called Critics' Choice. We're going to turn now to uh, an album from a much later session, 1983. Now, Pepper, um, as I mentioned before, passed away in 1985 of uh, lung cancer. But, uh, you know, he never... Uh, altered his style all the years that uh, that he was playing. He didn't have to. Um, his style um, was really formulated early, and he continued to refine it, of course, but he never really, he never altered it at all, like many great artists, and uh, I admired him for that. And this is a wonderful album featuring uh, Canadian-born trumpeter Kenny Wheeler, Pepper Adams on baritone saxophone, Kenny Wheeler on trumpet and flugelhorn, Hank Jones on piano, Clint Houston on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. And uh, this was recorded at a club called Fat Tuesdays in New York City, and it was during the time when uh, uh, an ex-wife of mine was actually managing that particular club. And uh, she uh, remembered this, um, this date and this engagement very well, and of course uh, a recording made uh, at the club. We're going to hear a couple of tracks from here. We're going to hear um, a tune written by Pepper Adams called Conjuration, and the second tune, a very beautiful ballad, of course, one of my favorites, Alone Together by the great composers Dietz and Schwartz. And then we're going to hear a tune dedicated to a great Montreal disc jockey, jazz fan, writer, and someone who did so much for uh, promoting jazz music in Montreal, the the late, great Len Dobbin. And uh, Pepper Adams wrote a tune for Len and called it simply Dobbin. And after that, we'll hear a short version of Pepper's um, theme song. All of this was recorded at Fat Tuesday, so we're hearing three tunes, Conjuration, Alone Together, Dobbin, and uh, a final tune, uh, Pepper's theme song called Tiz. Our further tribute to the great late Pepper Adams.
Wright, uh, an original piece called Conjuration. And uh, this next one, as they usually say, needs no introduction, and then proceed to give it. This is by uh, Gibson Schwartz. It's called Alone Together. Thank <laughs> you. 
Pepper Adams, live at Fat Tuesdays, recorded in 1983 at that uh, veritable club in New York City in August of 1983. And um, that's from an album that came out on Reservoir Records called Conjuration. That's a good word. You know, it means a a, a spell. Um, And that was the name of the first tune written by Pepper Adams, Conjuration. And then we heard um, a rendition of uh, a great tune written by the songwriting team of Dietz and Schwartz and entitled Alone Together. And then we moved to a composition dedicated to the great Len Dobbin, who was uh, one of the voices of jazz in Montreal and one of the great supporters of the music. And that tune was written by In Honor of Len, Uh, written by Pepper Adams and called Dobbin. And then we heard um, a short version of uh, Pepper's theme song, written by Thad Jones called Tiz. And the band included, uh, of course, Pepper Adams on baritone saxophone, the great Canadian-born trumpeter Kenny Wheeler on trumpet and flugelhorn, Hank Jones on piano, and some fabulous bass work by Clint the Late Great, Clint Houston, and on drums, Lewis Hayes. So quite an all-star band and uh, a wonderful um, album by the late Pepper Adams, who we're paying tribute to. We have one more piece that I'd like to play by Pepper Adams before we uh, 
bid him adieu until, well, of course, he's always welcome on the show. Um, but today is his birthday, so we're celebrating his birthday anniversary. And this is from an album that uh, goes back to 1968, which features Pepper on baritone saxophone and Zoot Sims on tenor saxophone. They were both great friends. Tommy Flanagan on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and in incredible form, Elvin Jones on drums. And this is a tune written by Pepper Adams called In and Out.
I thought that would be a more suitable ending to our celebration this evening on the jazz show, the birthday anniversary of the great baritone saxophonist Pepper Adams. So we heard two tracks from this um, prestige album called Encounter. And of course, Pepper Adams and on baritone saxophone and the great Zoot Sims on tenor saxophone, accompanied by Tommy Flanagan at the piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And we heard two tunes. The first one was the very exciting uh, Adams composition called In and Out, which featured sort of exchanges of all uh, everybody in the band. And the second tune ending our tribute was the beautiful Billy Strayhorn, Duke Ellington composition called Star-Crossed Lovers. All of this was recorded in New York City in December of 1968 and on this prestige album called Encounter. Pepper Adams. Great voice. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 and on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we shall return in a few moments with a a couple of announcements. We're going to uh, hearken back now to someone we played earlier. And um, this time it's going to be Jimmy Smith, the great Hammond organist with horns. My name's Gavin Walker, and you are listening to The Jazz Show. And take note of this. Last night, I left the bar. I was thirsty, and I don't drink wine. I was desperate. I needed blood. I turned to the only place I could. The only place that could possibly help me. Hello, Canadian Blood Services. Hello. I need some blood. A. Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood voluntarily. This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9 FM. A large man wearing green pants grabbed a woman by the hair and slammed her face into the glass window of a fire extinguisher case. He pulled her head back and hit her again, continuing to do so until the glass broke. The woman sustained deep cuts all over her face and eventually became unresponsive. The man then released his grip and she fell to the floor. This is a scene from an Emmy Award-winning cartoon. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like a joke? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people.
Earlier on this evening, we uh, featured uh, Jimmy Smith from uh, one of his early albums, the great Hammond organist. He was really the guy that put uh, uh, the Hammond organ on the map. It's not that musicians didn't play the the um, organ before Jimmy, but he modernized it so much and became uh, the most popular exponent of the Hammond organ and, of course, influenced just scads of uh, musicians. We're going to hear him with some good company here. Uh, Jimmy provides, of course, uh, uh, he does all the bass lines and, of course, uh, everything. There's no bass player here. We don't need it with Jimmy Smith. Um, and he's leading this band with Donald Byrd on trumpet, Papa Lou Donaldson on alto saxophone, Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, Eddie McFadden on guitar, and Art Blakey on drums, and, of course, Mr. Smith on the Hammond. This is simply called Groovy Date. Thank you. 
Hammond organ master Jimmy Smith, with a whole slew uh, of musicians on there, including Art Blakey on drums, and of course uh, Eddie McFadden on guitar, and we heard three great horn players, uh, Lou Donaldson on alto saxophone, Donald Byrd on trumpet, and Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, all jamming on a piece called Groovy Date. From an album called A Date with Jimmy Smith on Blue Note Records, and all of that was recorded in uh, 1957. It's about time for us to say goodnight, and I think a very good way of doing that is featuring one of my favorite tenor saxophonists, Al Cohn, in a duet with the great pianist Jimmy Rolls. And this is from an album called Heavy Love, and it was recorded in New York City. And we're going to hear a delightful version of an old tune that I think uh, a lot of people are familiar with called Them Their Eyes. And Al Cohn and Jimmy Smith make a whole lot of musical magic on that tune. Here we go. Thank you. 
Yeah, who needs bass, drums, and, and an orchestra to make some great jazz? Just two guys, Al Cohn on tenor saxophone and Jimmy Rolls on piano. And, of course, the tune was that old favorite, Them, Their Eyes. And, of course, they delivered all the variations and uh, had a great time on that tune. This is from an album called Heavy Love, Al Cohn and Jimmy Rolls. Wrapping up another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. I hope that uh, you were able to join us for a while. And uh, if you're still with us, that's, that's great, too. And <laughs> we're going to bid you a good night on behalf of uh, The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker. And, of course, 
Radio station CITR, 101.9 on your FM dial and on your computer, of course, uh, for live streaming, www.citr.ca. Take care. We start at 9 p.m. every Monday night with another edition of The Jazz Show, commencing next week. I hope to see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.